0: Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. You can find them on page 1829 of your Pew Bible. 1829. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. I plead with the and I plead with Syntike to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. These are the unshakable words of God. May all who hear them agree with each other in the Lord. What is Christian unity? In a day and age when it appears like there is more that divides us than unites us, it seems fitting that God has led us to this passage for today. What is Christian unity? Nearly a year ago, we we saw our nation split down the middle, battling over whom would be the next president. And when the outcome was decided, there was joyful arrogance by some and bitter distress by others. I've heard tell that that some people even left their church because they, they would no longer fellowship with anyone who voted for a particular candidate. What is Christian unity? Yesterday, one woman was killed and 19 others were injured as a car intentionally crashed into a group of protesters in Virginia. This incident occurred because of political and racial divisions in our nation. What is Christian unity? There are a lot of misconceptions out there today of what people think it should be. Here are some of the things that Christian unity is not. First, it is not being in agreement on all matters. Unity doesn't mean that everyone will look the same, dress the same, or act the same. It doesn't mean that they'll have the same taste in music or food or that they'll subscribe to the same politics. They won't even root for the same football team. And it certainly doesn't mean that everyone is of the same race. There is diversity within the body of Christ. Second, Christian unity is not agreeing to disagree on matters of first importance. This is where the ecumenical movement has got it wrong. There are some churches that we simply cannot partner with because there are disagreements on fundamental Christian beliefs. For instance, a church that does not hold to the doctrine of penal substitution That Jesus died on the cross in place of sinners, satisfying the just penalty of God in order that he can forgive them. If a church doesn't believe that, then there can be no unity. These two groups have opposing views of salvation. Therefore, they have opposing missions. So what is Christian unity? Biblically, what does it look like? Hopefully, as we dig into our text for today, we'll find an answer. Throughout this letter, Paul had been urging the church in Philippi to live in unity. He wanted them to put their petty differences aside and focus on the the heavenly realities that made them a family. And now he urged these two women in particular to agree with each other in the Lord. Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. I plead with Iodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. In the the beginning of Philippians chapter 2, Paul had encouraged this church to put away their selfish desires, and to consider others as better than themselves. They were to do this for the sake of the gospel. Now he had the boldness to publicly call these two ladies out. This is not typical in Paul's letters. Often he would rebuke sin in a church without naming the person. Yet here he used the name of each of these people, Iodia, and syndicated. A couple of things to note about this. First, Paul has faith in the maturity of both the church and these two women to rebuke them publicly. These were not two cantankerous old ladies arguing over trivial matters. As we will see, they were respected women in the community because of their faithful service to God. Second, everyone in the church already knew about this dispute. That is why Paul feels the liberty to name these two people, and yet doesn't feel the need to mention what the argument was about. Third, because unity is such a major theme throughout this letter, it can be surmised that Paul's previous exhortations were leading up to this reproof. Most likely, Iodia and Syntyche were leaders of two different factions within the church. So this rebuke, while it was meant for them, it may have also served as a reproof to any who sided one way or the other. There was substantial division within the church of Philippi, and these two women held sway. Paul was going to put a stop to it. But notice too that Paul doesn't take sides here; he treats each woman equally. He doesn't say, "I plead with the Yodia to agree with Syntyche," or "I plead with Syntyche to agree with the Yodia." No, he says, "I plead with the Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche, to agree with each other in the Lord." This also communicates something to us. Because Paul didn't side one way or the other, we know that this was not a theological dispute or a sin issue. For Paul would have corrected one or both of them if it had been. Now we can be sure, now we can't be sure what the dispute was about, but we do know that it was creating enough contention within the church that Paul felt the need to address it and address it publicly. Yet he didn't want them to come to an agreement over their dispute. Rather, what did he say? He said that they should agree with each other in the Lord. Whatever the argument was over, Paul didn't seem to care who was right or who was wrong. He wanted them to begin thinking about more important matters. So what does it mean to agree with each other in the Lord? This is the heart of true Christian unity. Look with me again at our first scripture reading, Ephesians 4, verses 3 through 6. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The people of God are united underneath something. There are certain things that they hold in common. Ephesians shows us some of these essential things that unify God's people. Christians form one body, the body of Christ. There is one Holy Spirit in which they are filled and guided by. And they have one hope, which is the resurrection from the dead. And they have one Lord, Jesus Christ. They have one faith, meaning that they believe the same things. And they have one baptism, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And they have one God and Father who rules over them and works within them. In other words, there is substance that unites the body of Christ, it isn't just unity for unity's sake. It is God who unifies his people underneath his rule. Iodia and Syntyche were to agree with each other in the Lord. They needed to dwell on the things that united them as sisters in Christ. The fact that Jesus died for both of them. The truth that God has chosen each one to be his daughter. The reality that they they both were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the fact that they held on to a common faith. They needed to have the mind of Christ, who humbled himself for the sake of his people. Each one was to put the needs of the other ahead of herself. They shouldn't be battling to get their own way. Rather, they should be going out of their way to please the other by giving in to the other's preference. Often in churches today, we see disputes over minuscule things, things that are are, are of not great importance, whether it's style of music or how communion is practiced, or even how a person votes. All these things are third or even fourth level matters and should not be elevated to first level status. Yet for whatever reason, these things become very personal and significant. Sometimes to the extent that they blind the Christian from the greater truths that unite them. Bitterness develops against brother and sister. And over what? Because one worships God with a guitar? Because another chooses to vote Democrat or chooses to vote Republican? This should not be. Those in such a feud need to learn to agree with one another in the Lord. Yet the responsibility for making peace does not belong to Yodia and Syntyche alone. Look at verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Paul is looking for a mediator, Someone to bring these two women together and help them have peace with one another. Now there is dispute among translators over this verse, particularly over the word yoke fellow. The Greek word here is tzuzuge. It can mean yoke fellow or colleague. It typically is used to describe someone who is bonded to another, such as in marriage or in a business partnership. Yet some claim that Suzuge is actually the name of an elder within that church, someone that Paul trusts to handle the situation. Whatever the case, the word is singular, and it uses a male ending. So we do know that Paul was referring to one person, and a man in particular, whether that man was named Sazuge, or whether he was just a fellow companion of Paul's, possibly Epaphroditus, what is clear is Paul wanted a mediator to intervene. In the church, responsibility for unity doesn't just fall upon those who are causing the disruption, but brothers and sisters need to step in particularly those in positions of leadership. The church is family. In a family, if there is a fight between siblings, it is felt by all, and it affects everyone. And it is a responsibility of the parents, those who are mature, to try to bring peace. The church is no different. If there are people causing disunity between members of the flock, it affects the whole. If the dispute is not handled, disruption will spread, causing greater and greater pain. This was a corporate responsibility within their community to help these women. They must not avoid intervening because of fear or saving face. Unity was too important. Plus, Paul provided great reasons for this yoke fellow to intervene. The first of which was that both of these women had contended by Paul's side for the sake of the gospel. Iodia and Syntyche were champions of the faith. They were bold witnesses for Jesus. On par with the likes of Clement and others who Paul worked with closely. Those who strove to make the good news known to all. Men such as Timothy and Titus. Paul held Iodia and Syntyche in high regard. But more than that, the names of these two ladies are written in the book of life. Here Paul is referring to a passage from Exodus 32, in which Moses spoke of God's book. Exodus 32 verses 31 and 32 says this. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. In Daniel, we see an angel comment on the same book. Daniel 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress which has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. And, of course, the Apostle John expands on this thought in Revelation 22, verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is Paul's last charge for unity. Both Iodia and Syntyche have the same eternal fate. They were destined for everlasting fellowship with one another. I mean, how could any trivial earthly matter be of such importance that it trumps the fact that their names are written in the book of life? Let me ask you. What is it that causes division between you and your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is it really so important that you are willing to cut ties? Even though one day you will be in eternal fellowship with that person? Listen to Paul's instruction in Colossians 3, verse 13. Bear with each other. And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Dear friends, if Jesus could forgive the grievances he had with you, all of those sins, all of your wicked ways, and go to the cross to die for you, If he could take upon himself the punishment that you deserve in order that you could be reconciled to the Father, then what are you doing letting your petty disputes disrupt your fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Don't you see that that is pride? You should be fighting for one another, not against. It was Christ who fought for you. He continues to fight for you every day. He died on the cross for your sins, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. Agree with each other and the Lord. Focus on the more important things, those things that you hold in common. True Christian unity brings glory to God. Just as Jesus and the Father are one, God desires the same oneness for his people. Agree with each other in the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we confess that we hold on to trivial matters We let our pride get in the way of our love for one another. Change our hearts. Help us to put the needs of others ahead of our own. Remind us of how your son put our needs ahead of his own as he went to the cross to die for our sins. Renew us by the work of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.